The following presentation is brought to you by the Realm Network. Buzz Burbank, news and comment. February 16th, 2017. Thank you very much for listening and for shopping through my Amazon links at buzzburbank.com. Never this early in a presidency have there been calls for impeachment as there are now for number 45. And although it may not happen quickly or ever, it certainly seems a possibility now that we know Russia, through Trump's people, has infiltrated the U.S. government. Time magazine called for Trump's impeachment after speaking with legal experts who say he should be impeached because of his mountainous conflicts of interest. And that was before we learned key people in the Trump campaign and now in the White House were in contact with Russia throughout the campaign in which Russia threw wrenches into our political process. Before that news, Trump's disapproval rating was already up to 53%, with only 41% giving him their approval. And it was before we'd learned of the connections between Trump's people and the Russian government. Even then, the number of Americans supporting Trump had shrunk by up to 17% in the past three weeks, all within the first three weeks of his administration. Trump reached a majority disapproval rating in his first eight days in office as he fired off a round of executive orders. Trump lost more support after his travel ban on American workers and students from seven majority Muslim countries pursuant to his campaign promise of a Muslim ban. His popularity fell more after losing battles over that immigration ban, calling the first judge a so-called judge. But since those polls taken just five days ago, we've learned even more about the new president and his administration's cozy relationship with Russia. So our top story this week is that the President of the United States, considered to be the most powerful leader in the world, may be compromised, in over his head, or even guilty of high crimes and misdemeanors. That message doesn't seem to have gotten to Trump. At Monday's White House meeting with Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, Trump said, We are getting such praise for our stance. We won by a very, very large electoral college vote. I knew this is what people were wanting. The late Richard Nixon, investigated by fellow Republicans, declared he would not resign in the dog days of summer in 1974, but Nixon did resign soon after that, the first president in history to do so, and he did it under pressure, including pressure from his own party. That was a year and a half into Nixon's second term, five and a half years into his administration. Just before that, as the Watergate investigation played out on TV, Republican Senator Howard Baker asked one of Nixon's advisors, what did the president know, and when did he know it? That line stuck. It caught on. People repeated it. And now we're hearing it again, just four weeks into the Trump administration. And now the president of the United States and his people are under investigation for their possible ties to Russia. So what did this president know, and when did he know it? We wouldn't know as much as we do now if it weren't for senior intelligence officials at the FBI and the CIA. And it's worth noting that Trump has said he's more interested in shutting down those leaks than he is in addressing the Russian infiltration of our government. Nine people inside the U.S. government's intelligence agencies told the Washington Post this week they could corroborate some of the intelligence gathered in that dossier on Russia's surveillance of Trump. They didn't pursue the sleazy personal stuff the Russians had reportedly gathered on Trump, the hookers and the rest. But the FBI and the CIA did find that not only had Russia influenced the November election to help Trump, four of Trump's people were in touch with the Russian government the entire time. 
One of those advisors, Mike Flynn, is the retired general who was, for a little over three weeks, Trump's national security advisor, the guy who filtered what over a dozen U.S. intelligence agencies have been trying to tell the president in his daily briefings. And now at least nine of our top intelligence people say Flynn was on the phone with Russia's U.S. ambassador before the election, during the transition, and in the days since. U.S. intelligence always monitors Russian communications, and they have transcripts of Flynn's conversations with the Russian official and between that official and the Kremlin. In one of those conversations, before Trump had been sworn in, they say Flynn told the Russian ambassador not to worry about the sanctions Obama had heaped upon Russia after it was clear Russia had interfered with our election through hacking, leaking, and posting fake news on social media. Democrats in Congress, and now key Republicans, are investigating. They want to know if Trump or anyone else in Trump's administration also has ties to Russia. Among their key witnesses, Flynn himself, who's already spoken with the FBI and already essentially admitted he lied when he said repeatedly and clearly that he hadn't talked sanctions with the Russian. If our intelligence officials claim is true, Flynn may have broken a federal law, the Logan Act, which bans private citizens, as Flynn was until three weeks ago, from conducting their own diplomacy. And this allegedly happened during the campaign that was influenced by Russia while Russia was chatting with the man who would be one of Trump's top advisors. Flynn also appears to have interfered with U.S. foreign policy with that conversation with the Russian ambassador. And then Flynn lied to the American people about it, at first denying discussing the sanctions with his Russian contact. He denied it to Vice President Mike Pence, to whom Flynn would later apologize. The apology was also due because Flynn had gotten Pence to lie for him, on his behalf, to, as Trump did, back up Flynn's story. But then U.S. intelligence leaked word that it had warned the White House about Flynn's Russian connection three weeks ago, around the time of Flynn swearing in as national security advisor. In other words, we may already have the answer to what the president knew and when he knew it. We now know Trump himself knew about this three weeks ago, knew Flynn had lied to the vice president and did nothing about it. He didn't do anything until it was made public. Trump was also lying on Air Force One last Friday when he told reporters he knew nothing about the Post report on Flynn's big lie. Which means Trump, like Flynn, was also lying to the vice president and to the American people. Later, Kellyanne Conway would announce Trump had full confidence in Flynn, only to be contradicted a half hour later by White House spokesman Sean Spicer, who said Trump was evaluating the situation. Spicer says the White House had been working on the situation every day for weeks. The White House admits Trump knew for weeks. Spicer said Trump didn't mind Flynn's chat with the Russian ambassador, but didn't like Flynn lying to the vice president. But Trump had also kept Pence in the dark for two weeks. What else is he keeping from the vice president? Democrats and some Republicans are concerned about Flynn's chat with that ambassador and equally concerned that it doesn't seem to bother Trump. And while Trump remains in office, despite his lies, General Flynn is out for lying. Flynn's relationship with the Russian ambassador may be why Russia took the nearly unprecedented step of not reacting at all, not retaliating, when President Obama imposed new sanctions on Russia for interfering in the election based on the judgment of 17 U.S. intelligence agencies. Russia didn't respond, perhaps, because it was reportedly told by Mike Flynn that same day, the same day Obama imposed those sanctions, 
not to worry about it, that Obama's sanctions would be taken care of by the Trump administration. Russia not only didn't respond to or retaliate against the new sanctions, it invited American diplomats' children to Putin's Christmas party and has since offered up Edward Snowden as a congratulations gift to Trump. And Vladimir Putin said this week he's opened a meeting with Trump. The Trump administration lifted some of those sanctions, and not just any sanctions. They lifted the ones that kept American cybersecurity companies from selling cybersecurity services and software to Russia's spy agency, the FSB. But Congress and a good deal of the public are concerned about getting cozy with Russia and about an administration that seems desperate for exactly that. The Trump administration also seems confused about General Flynn. On Tuesday, spokesman Spicer told us the president had lost confidence in Flynn. The next day, yesterday, Trump himself called Flynn a wonderful man, treated very, very unfairly by the fake media. It's really sad, he tweeted. He praised Fox News, accusing CNN of being hateful and crazy. He says Flynn's lie was revealed by, quote, people trying to cover up for a terrible loss the Democrats had under Hillary. And Trump repeated that the leaks were illegal and called the leakers un-American. He'd already called them Nazis, so what's another insult? These are the words of a man being cornered, not by the media, but by sloppy executive orders, argumentative calls with foreign leaders, multiple apparent ethics violations, and the evidence of his campaign's ties to Russia, not to mention the lying and infighting among his top staffers. Trump, searching for a new NSA, has offered that job to Vice Admiral Robert Harward, who served under the now Defense Secretary Mike Mad Dog Mattis, who remains widely respected. But whoever gets the job is still going to need a staff. Flynn's top choice to be deputy on that staff was forced out of consideration when that nominee failed to pass a background security check. Other staff have quit or been pushed out. It's an administration and a world power in chaos and understaffed as it faces provocations from Russia, North Korea, and China. More on those provocations coming up. But there's a world-class battle brewing here at home over whether Flynn and others will stand trial for their alleged crimes and whether Trump should, because of his own lies and cover-ups, be charged as well. And then there's the possible endangering of national security by accident. It was Saturday night at Trump's Mar-a-Lago Resort in Florida when he was informed South Korea had fired another missile, this one with a solid-fuel rocket of intermediate range capable of carrying a nuclear warhead. It was a clear provocation aimed at Trump, who was having dinner with the Prime Minister of Japan, along with other close aides, including Mike Flynn, who was still National Security Advisor at the time. There, in front of a foreign leader and the other diners, Trump and his aides made phone calls and poured over documents that were being illuminated by the camera flashes from all around, from people not in government, golfers, members of Trump's golf club. One diner tweeted he was at the center of the action. Nobody, not even Japan's prime minister, was supposed to see any of this if it was a discussion of sensitive military or foreign policy matters. Wherever he goes, any president has at his disposal a secure tent for privately handling sensitive issues. It wasn't used. What was nearby were this country's nuclear codes in the hands of a military officer named Rick, and we shouldn't even know his first name. Rick, who has since been replaced, did the unthinkable. He posed for a picture with a wealthy retired investor at Mar-a-Lago 
who then posted that photo on social media. Rick and the investor had outed the person who carries the president's nuclear football. No one's supposed to know who that is. Vice President Joe Biden was soundly scolded by conservatives last year after telling a crowd that one of the military aides with him had the nuclear codes. In this case, we knew exactly who it was, and that's dangerous. As for that meeting so many civilians and foreigners saw and perhaps overheard, the White House says the commotion wasn't about North Korea's ballistic missile launch. Spokesman Sean Spicer says it was about the president's remarks for his upcoming news conference. That would seem like a lot of commotion over Trump's part of the news conference since the only words he spoke were, I just want everybody to understand and fully know that the United States of America stands behind Japan, its great ally, 100%. Thank you. That's the statement they were supposedly working on. That's now being investigated by House Oversight Chairman Jason Chaffetz, not very enthusiastically, but he is the same Utah Republican who led the investigations into Benghazi. Japan would have been within range of that medium-range, solid-fuel, nuclear-capable missile launched over the weekend by North Korea. It was a clear violation, and the UN Security Council condemned it, including China, which issued a statement saying China feels responsible for the North Korea nuclear issue and, quote, will try to solve the problem reliably. But China's been provoking the U.S. as well, including flying one of their biggest military jets in front of one of ours, over the international waters of the South China Sea, but waters China is determined to claim as its own. The Chinese plane crossed the nose of the U.S. plane at a distance of less than a 1,000 feet. The U.S. plane had to make a sharp turn to avoid a collision. That was last Wednesday. That same day, the new president spoke by phone for the first time with Chinese President Xi Jinping. It was also the first time Trump had told China he will respect the one-China policy he's criticized a policy that allows China and the U.S. to communicate on the condition we don't recognize Taiwan. Trump had already done exactly that, perhaps unknowingly, apparently unknowingly, when he accepted a congratulatory call from Taiwan's president. The one-China policy demands that never happen. But three days later, the U.S. Navy appeared to be preparing a stronger presence in those disputed waters where Chinese military ships already cruise. The U.S. Navy had stayed out of those waters on Obama's watch to make sure no shots were fired even by accident. And in spite of the Trump administration's apparent ties with Russia, Russia is also up to no good. It's moved missiles to along its borders, medium-range ground-launch cruise missiles that were banned in a treaty with the U.S. 30 years ago. And over the past week, a Russian spy ship has been making its way through international waters up the East Coast toward a submarine base in Connecticut. At last report, it was 30 miles away from the American coastline, 30 miles from that American sub-base, 18 miles outside U.S. waters. And there have been other challenges. These, two are considered tests of the Trump administration, and they come just as that administration comes under scrutiny for its Russian connections. And now comes word the Pentagon is looking to put U.S. soldiers on the ground in northern Syria to speed up the fight against ISIS. That decision is expected to be made within the next 30 days. A day without immigrants, a reminder of the good in Americans, and more after this. A smooth, clean shave from a blade that glides like butter and comes right to my door at half the cost of the big-name brands. 
That's what I love about shaving with products from Harry's. From the hefty, balanced handle that fits your hand to the precision-engineered five-blade cartridges that come with a lubricating strip, a trimmer blade, and a travel cover, to Harry's rich, lathering shave gel. It all started when Harry's founders Jeff and Andy got tired of getting ripped off on blade prices. One big company in particular had jacked their prices again and again and made a fortune while we all spent a fortune. Jeff and Andy quickly discovered the problem, the middlemen. So they bought their own factory, one that's been making blades for over a hundred years, so they can ship top quality blades directly to you. The result, quality products at your door for half of what you've been paying. And that's the Harry's story. Become part of it. Go to harrys.com right now to try their new shave set free of charge. You just pay the shipping. Sign up at harrys.com slash R-E-L-M. And because you're a loyal listener to this newscast, Harry's will even throw in a free post-shave balm. But only if you log on to harrys.com slash R-E-L-M. Trump advisor and spokeswoman Kellyanne Conway, the one who tried to remind us of a Bowling Green massacre that never happened, may have broken two federal laws last week when she used an appearance on Fox News to plug Ivanka Trump's jewelry after it had been discontinued at Nordstrom. Two major watchdog groups filed formal complaints about Conway's abuse of the White House to the Independent Office of Government Ethics. And that office heard from more than just a couple of watchdog groups. The Ethics Office website crashed after Conway's shameless plug during an interview in which she was representing the White House with the government's official White House logo over her left shoulder. Go buy Ivanka's stuff, said Conway. After the snub from Nordstrom, she told viewers to look for the first daughter's jewelry online, adding a personal endorsement, even admitting it was a free commercial. One law that prohibits such a plug says an employee may not use his public office for the private gain of friends or relatives. Another law bans using public funds for any business other than government business. Trump had to pile on, of course, on Twitter, attacking Nordstrom as terrible and unfair, which he then retweeted to his official government Twitter account at POTUS. So he, too, may have broken the law by using a government account on behalf of Ivanka's jewelry business. Nordstrom's stock rose 7% immediately after Trump's Twitter attack. The ethics office, under pressure from all sides, is recommending the White House take disciplinary action against Ms. Conway. And Ivanka's jewelry is just the tip of the iceberg that is the Trump empire. Quoting the head of one of the watchdog groups filing the ethics complaint, anyone harboring any illusions there was separation between the Trump administration and the family business has had their fantasy shattered. Any congressional investigation of Trump's conflicts, however, have to begin with Republican Congressman Jason Chaffetz of Utah, who chairs the House Oversight Committee. Oversight is the committee's middle name. Back in Utah, at a town hall meeting on Friday, Chaffetz was booed by an angry crowd of constituents who wanted to know why he wasn't investigating Trump's conflicts. You're really not going to like this part, said Chaffetz, adding, the president of the law is exempt from conflict of interest laws. Chaffetz was booed loudly and repeatedly. A Republican representative from Tennessee was booed out of her constituent meeting. Other Republican lawmakers have stopped meeting with constituents because of the heat they're taking over Trump. One such congressman is Lee Zeldin of New York State, who has already canceled a town hall he'd scheduled for April, since it may be a warmer April than he and other Republicans were expecting. 
Outside of official Washington, concern and anger are growing over Trump's purge of immigrants. The first real red flag went up a week ago when a mother of two was torn from her family and deported to Mexico. Her parents had brought her here when she was 14, over 20 years ago. Ten years ago, she used a made-up social security number to get a low-level private sector job. Although that's a felony, the U.S. government showed compassion and allowed her to stay in Mesa, Arizona with her children so long as she checked in with immigration every six months, which she did religiously for the past eight years. But everything changed at her first check-in since Trump took office. This time, she was arrested and deported. This 35-year-old woman is now back in Mexico for the first time since she was 14, and her children are still back in L.A. Her arrest and deportation, being torn from her family, was a harbinger of many more heartbreaking stories to come. In Denver, after 20 years in this country, Janet Vascara is a target for deportation under Trump because she also once used a made-up Social Security number to get a job. As protests continue in Denver, she is holed up in a church that's promised her sanctuary. It's a good thing it's not Taco Tuesday because... Across the country, the immigrants who run businesses of all kinds are closed today to show the country what life would be like without immigrants. Immigrations and customs enforcement officials, meanwhile, have conducted raids across the country. The new government says people here without papers pose a danger to the country, apparently included in the otherwise law-abiding Guadalupe Garcia de Reos, formerly of Mesa, Arizona. At first, immigration said reports that it had rounded up 100 Southern Californians were exaggerated, grossly exaggerated, they said. The agency later admitted it was well over 100, not under 100, 160 to be exact. And then came the raids in Chicago and Atlanta and New York and the Carolinas. Again, said immigration, nothing to see here. This is routine stuff scheduled back when Obama was president. The difference is the Trump administration is no longer allowing exclusions in cases where that makes sense. But the clear change in U.S. immigration policy has terrified immigrants and their communities across the country. The fear of not knowing which families will be torn apart next. Just before Andrew Puzder withdrew his nomination as Secretary of Labor, someone close to him told CBS News, I think he's very tired of the abuse. Puzder was once accused of being abusive himself to his then-wife. The ex now denies her original accusations, as of course does Puzder. Puzder's withdrawal came a day after Oprah Winfrey Productions offered up a video of the former Mrs. Puzder detailing the once-alleged abuse and later telling Oprah that Puzder had threatened revenge for her going public. Almost incidentally now, there was harsh criticism of Puzder's views on the issues, minimum wage and overtime to name two, along with his employment of an undocumented immigrant, something that's taken out other labor nominees. And Puzder's withdrawal came on the same day that leading Republican senators asked the White House to take Puzder out of the running. They knew that every Democrat and a solid number of Republicans was planning to vote no on Puzder. The Republican majority in the Senate is a narrow one. Handing both Republicans and the president a defeat this early in his administration wasn't an option. Not that things aren't already moving at nearly the speed of light. With Puzder pulling out on his own, the only loser is Trump, who ran as a businessman, promising to bring in only the best people. Among the various misdirections of the Trump administration, these comments by Jeff Sessions, after he was sworn in as Attorney General this past week, our new head of the Justice Department, We have a crime problem, said Sessions. 
He called it a dangerous, permanent trend that places the health and safety of the American people at risk. I wish he said the rise were some sort of aberration or blip. Wish granted. Although no one denies there's a crime problem, especially in Chicago, the trend of which Sessions spoke is downward, not upward, and down is not up, no matter what you hear. Yes, there was a minor spike in crime in 2016, but it is, in fact, a blip and an aberration. The trend has been downward. Crime in America is down by nearly half since its all-time high in 1990. And although saying crime is up is a great tool for instilling fear in the gullible, it isn't true. The new attorney general, however, says he believes it is true. It has become a full-time job for journalists to count much less counter the inaccuracies, misdirections, and lies of the Trump administration, but we shall continue to do so. And if you had any doubts about how the new administration would deal with transgender rights, consider those doubts confirmed. This week, new Attorney General Jeff Sessions withdrew the Obama administration request to let transgender students in public schools use restrooms assigned to the gender with which they identify. The Obama Justice Department saw restroom discrimination as a violation of the federal law that guarantees equality for all in education. Sessions made his move within 48 hours of his swearing in, reversing federal policy on discrimination against transgenders. Also approved this week, but just barely, was another Goldman Sachs alumnus, alleged foreclosure king and billionaire Steve Mnuchin. He made a fortune on modifying the loans of tens of thousands of homes resulting in thousands of evictions. One spot of good news might be the approval of Dr. David Shulkin as our new Secretary of Veterans Affairs. He will run the VA. Shulkin was the Deputy VA Director in the Obama administration, the only holdover, praised by major veterans groups and respected by both parties. He'll run the VA after a Senate approval vote of 100 to 0. Because it's the government's job to protect its people from danger of all kinds, the government has maintained control of air traffic through the Federal Aviation Administration. Trump says he'd like to change that and give private enterprise a shot at keeping our skies safe. Trump says he hears it's costing billions of dollars to run the FAA, quote, a system he calls totally out of whack. Trump made that comment after a private plane got closer than allowed to Air Force One, not dangerously close, but closer than the rules allow. We haven't heard yet whether it was a pilot error or an error by air traffic controllers, but there was no near collision, not even close. And Trump has the support of the airlines in his proposal, at least on this. They, too, say the system we now use is too expensive. Mississippi is the latest state to cling to executions. State lawmakers there have passed a bill that clears the way to bring back the gas chamber, the electric chair, or the firing squad to keep death alive as a punishment option. Mississippi's Republican governor supports the bill. But the bill says these other methods are preparation in the event lethal injections are outlawed. And that could happen. In Ohio, Governor Kasich has postponed eight upcoming executions after a federal appeals court heard arguments that lethal injection is too painful to be legal. Ohio's own state law says death must be caused quickly and painlessly. Ohio's executions came to a halt when its court fight began three years ago after one condemned man gasped for air for 26 minutes until he finally died. That bill in Mississippi acknowledges that state would only turn to those other methods 
so long as firing squad, electric chair, and gas chamber are not also ruled unconstitutionally cruel and unusual. There are now 47 people on Mississippi's death row. Former Penn State football coach Jerry Sandusky is still spending the rest of his life in prison for nearly 50 sexual assaults on minors. Now, one of his six adopted children, son Jeffrey Sandusky, has been arrested for soliciting child pornography and soliciting sex from a minor. Often, child sex abusers were themselves abused as children. In Louisville, Kentucky, on any given day, they got about 22 calls for drug overdoses. In the first week of this month, there were 52 in 32 hours. 34 of those victims had to be hospitalized. Police say it's fentanyl again, added by competitive heroin dealers to give their stuff an extra high, something heroin addicts are always looking for. And it didn't just happen in the hood. It happened in more than 20 zip codes there, poor to wealthy. Louisville ODs appear to be up by a third over last year, based on the nearly 700 cases in January. Overdoses now make up 60% of the bodies handled by the coroner there. In Huntington, West Virginia, meanwhile, there were 26 ODs in just four hours. And it's not just in the South. Across the country, drug overdose deaths are up 23% in the last six years, killing over 47,000 Americans. We continue to wait for the solution to a worrisome level of addiction to heroin and other opioids. In California, most of the nearly 200,000 people who were evacuated when the Oroville Dam approached overflow after torrential rains there are back in their homes. California Water Board officials were draining the excess down a spillway, a concrete ramp into the Feather River below, where it could eventually run out to the sea. But that plan went sideways when massive holes appeared in the concrete and dirty water splashed everywhere. That's when they decided to use an unfinished spillway instead, a hillside really. And that effort ended in the kind of erosion that could endanger the dam itself. With more rain on the way, the excess had to go and people had to be moved out of harm's way. One of those 188,000 evacuees was our own Adam Chirac, host of the Realm Network's Gaming Marathon. Once he returned home, he told me people were sent to the north, most of them staying in hotels, but he says some of those hotels were price gouging. Still, Adam says there was a safe place for everyone. If you don't have any sort of family connection and you can't really afford a hotel room, there are plenty of shelters, it seems, and people are still there, actually. They're, they're not quite trusting this uh, evacuation order uh, to return home Im immediately just yet. Adam says officials give 70-30 odds for safety, so they and he are optimistic. They have flight crews going in and out, dropping boulders, dropping concrete slurry to fill the erosion cracks. That's probably going to stop because we got actually another storm coming in with uh, wind gusts. So they're going to have to halt that for now. But they've really made a lot of progress with both the boulders and the, the concrete slurry getting that filled in. So they're expecting it to hold up. For the time being, though, they're still using the main spillway with that big hole because what's underneath is bedrock, and bedrock, you know, beyond that point doesn't erode, so they can continue to use that. It's still holding strong. It's not eroding back up, which is what their biggest fear was going to be, but thankfully that's not going to be the case, so they can still use the main spillway, and they're pushing out 100,000 cubic feet per second of water, and the inflow is only about, I think they said 29,000, so... The, the lake, at the last time I checked, is about 20 feet below the top, which is pretty good. That really gives them some wiggle room to figure things out during this next storm. Officials now say they plan to keep draining till the water in that 770-foot-tall dam is down 
by at least 60 feet. The number of anti-Muslim groups in the U.S. has grown by 200% over the past year after Trump began to demonize that religion. The Southern Poverty Law Center counts them as part of nearly a 1,000 active hate groups in the U.S. So we grab the rays of hope and sunshine where we can find them. People around the country and around the world have donated over a million dollars for the rebuilding of an Islamic mosque in South Texas. Someone set fire to that mosque two weeks ago, destroying it. The Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives says it was arson, and they're offering a reward of $30,000 for information leading to the arrest of the arsonist. The million-some dollars donated is more than twice the amount needed to rebuild that mosque, and that is how love conquers hate. A look back at Valentine's Day 2017, another medical oddity, Omar's movie preview, and more in the third and final segment, up next. I know this story sounds familiar, but it's true. A couple of college students wanted the kind of stylish watches others were wearing, but like a lot of college kids, they were broke. Nothing that stylish with any quality was affordable. A little research taught them that quality and fashion don't have to be expensive if you cut out the middleman by selling direct to you online. So little by little, they started their own watch company in much the same way we started this network. Even the name of their company is High Fashion, MVMT for movement. People will ask you about your movement watch with its classic design, minimalist style, and quality construction. Now, these are watches that would sell in a department store for four or five hundred bucks, but Movement makes them yours starting at just 95 bucks with free shipping and free returns. That's why Movement is the world's fastest-growing watch company with over a million sold in more than 160 countries around the world. And because you listen to this program, you get another 15% off that already amazing price. Just go to mvmtwatches.com slash R-E-L-M. Be like us. Join the movement mvmtwatches.com slash r-e-l-m When people say the wall in Atlanta these days, they're not talking about Trump's wall or Pink Floyd. They're talking about the wall they're moving, a wall that weighs 12 tons. Painted on that wall in oils is a painting of the Battle of Atlanta during the American Civil War. That's the battle in 1864 that was featured in the 1939 movie Gone with the Wind. It's an awesome painting, big enough to cover half a football field, and it curves around you in what's known as a cyclorama, which also makes it rare. There are only three cycloramic paintings in the world. It was the IMAX of its day, the way it envelops you. It's 49 feet tall, and if laid flat, it would be 374 feet long. And when it was finished in 1886, it was the biggest oil painting in the world. Moving it without destroying it isn't easy, but that work has now begun. The wall's now being carefully dismantled in Atlanta's Grant Park, where it has stood for the past 130 years. Its parts carried carefully on flatbed trucks to the city's history center, where it will be available to see again in one piece sometime next year. For years, Bob Hoffman of Placentia, California, had been secretly saving toward ten grand to take his wife on her dream vacation to Italy. He was looking forward to surprising her with that news as he reached the $8,000 mark. But then hard times fell on a relative who was about to be evicted along with her children. So Bob, having a good heart, put his excitement about the trip on hold 
and took that money out of the bank to give it to the relative. In the meantime, he stuffed it into an old shirt. Also having a good heart, Bob's wife, Linda, who took a bunch of old clothes to Goodwill. The two of them rushed to the Goodwill store where they and the employees looked frantically for that $8,000 or even the shirt. Linda says Bob never cries, but he did when that $8,000 was gone. It was a sad night for them both. But the next morning, the phone rang, and it was Goodwill. They'd found an envelope in a pile of clothes that contained $8,000. And Bob has also just learned that his relative no longer needs the money, and now he and Linda are both excited about their upcoming trip to Italy. Here's this week's movie preview from Realm Network Arts and Entertainment Editor Omar Latiri, brought to you by Fandango. Opening this weekend, February 17th, 2017, The Cure for Wellness, a mystery thriller directed by Pirates of the Caribbean director Gore Verbinski about a young executive sent to retrieve his company's CEO from a Swiss Alps wellness center that is more than what it appears to be. Rated R. There's Love Song, a limited release romantic drama starring Riley Keough and Jenna Malone as two young women whose friendship deepens during an impromptu road trip. Love Song is not rated. There's Everybody Loves Somebody, a Mexican romantic comedy about a successful and single career woman who asks her co-worker to pose as her boyfriend at a family wedding back home in Mexico. But the situation gets complicated when her ex shows up at the ceremony, rated PG-13. We also have Fist Fight, a comedy starring Ice Cube and Charlie Day as two public school teachers. After one gets fired, he challenges the other to an after-school fight. Rated R. And finally, we have The Great Wall, an action-adventure movie starring Matt Damon as a European mercenary who becomes embroiled in defending the Great Wall of China against a horde of monstrous creatures. Rated PG-13. My fourth annual Academy Awards show is now available. Listen as I give my picks for the winners of the 89th Academy Awards, my favorite movies from 2016, and my least favorite Oscar winners for Best Picture. For Buzz Burbank News and Comment, I'm Omar Lajiri. Thank you, Omar. For theaters and showtimes, previews, tickets, and so much more, and to support this free news, please use and bookmark the Fandango link you'll find at buzzburbank.com. And listen to Omar on his show, ARC, Arts Review and Commentary, right here at realmnetwork.com. How good is Alec Baldwin's Donald Trump? It may be the reason a newspaper in the Dominican Republic accidentally printed a photo of Baldwin in character where they clearly meant to use a photo of Trump. And this week, another medical oddity. Last week, I told you about doctors in India removing a cockroach that had crawled up a woman's nose into her skull and made itself at home right between her eyes. Since then, in China, a doctor has removed a cockroach from a man's ear. To avoid going to the doctor, the man tried spraying insecticide into his ear, which is not medically advised, even if it did kill the roach. But the bug in his ear remained stuck there for three days. So the man finally saw a doctor who had it out in less than a minute. The only reason Bobby Joe Washington of Riverside, California, isn't being charged with the theft of a dead person is that he didn't realize he'd done it. Bobby likely knew he was stealing a hearse when he drove away from a mortuary at half past one Sunday morning. Having left in a hurry, Bobby hadn't checked to see if there was a body in the back. Once he realized he had it, 
He immediately drove back to the mortuary, parked the hearse, and jumped into one of the company's vans, which had nothing in the back. When police caught up with Bobby Joe, he resisted at first, but then the canine patrol showed up and he went quietly to jail. The Charping family of Galveston, Texas, apparently wouldn't have minded if somebody had stolen the body of Leslie Ray Charping. He died at the age of 75 recently, his children writing in his obituary, it was much longer than he deserved. They described themselves as relieved. They described themselves and their children and what they call countless other victims of Leslie Ray's abuses. Charping's adult children say he was surprisingly intelligent and amusingly quick-witted, but unmotivated and a bad parent, a womanizer, a drinker, and a drugger. The kids say Charping's other victims include his ex-wife, extended family, friends, neighbors, doctors, nurses, and random strangers. The family says there will be no service, that his cremated remains will be kept in a barn with a donkey, and that for them, it's time for safety and healing. And finally, post-Valentine's Day notes. In France, a man is suing Uber for what he says is a glitch in their software, in their app, that allowed his wife to learn he had been having an affair. And it was on Burger King's Instagram post that a young woman in this country learned her boyfriend had been to Burger King with another woman the night before. At the time, the boyfriend posted, those Whoppers were worth it, though, LOL. The girlfriend informed him it was over, telling him he would find his belongings outside. And Valentine's Day seemed an odd day for Playboy magazine to announce it's bringing back the nude photos after struggling through a year without them. Heff's son Cooper is now running the play saying, we're taking our identity back. And now that the movie Fifty Shades Darker has made its way into movie theaters in Croatia, the fire department in Zagreb put out a warning to V-Day celebrants about handcuffs. They got some rescue calls nevertheless, including four involving handcuffs. Quoting the Zagreb Police Department, feel free to have fun, but be careful. In Britain, meanwhile, the London Fire Brigade had its annual Fifty Shades of Red campaign, warning lovers inspired by the Fifty Shades books and movies to be careful with their bondage. The Fire Brigade says it spent over a million dollars in the past five years responding to over a hundred handcuff rescue calls that began as sex play. Even more frequent, the more than 800 metal rings that had to be removed from men. The fire brigade's advice, quoting them, if it doesn't fit, don't force it. I'm Buzz Burbank. Thank you for listening. And thanks for supporting the shows and sponsors at buzzburbank.com. I'll be back next Thursday with another Buzz Burbank news and comments. The preceding presentation was brought to you by The Realm Network.